Yeah, we got a great group of adults that are a part of our kids' camp every year. They do a stellar job. and So keep praying for them and our boys and girls. They'll be coming back tomorrow. And then Camp Shadow Lake fires back up here on campus tomorrow as well. So it's been a busy summer. And it's crazy to think that it's like already halfway over. Now, some of that's good news for guys like me. That means football season is about to kick off. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Like high school football is going to be happening about a month from now. And that means that all over our community and some of our young men here too, that they're getting on the field soon. And before they get into the complicated schematics of offense and defense, they, they're going to get back to the basics first. They're going to just focus on the basics of blocking and tackling and footwork. You've got to come back to the basics every year before you can get into the heart of everything. Well, listen, Grace Life is about to move into a new season too. Uh, those of us who serve in leadership in local churches, we, we know that August for churches is kind of a new season. And so just like for football season, this is a good time for us as a church family and a gathering of friends to get back to some basics before we get into a new season. A new season of life groups, a new season of Wednesday nights, a new season of new ministry opportunities, new adventures that God has for us. And so we want to come back to the basics now, and we're going to start that this morning. And we've looked at this bullseye uh, over time. We used to have it mounted on the walls over at the old campus for a time, and I preached an entire sermon through this just a couple of months ago. Who are we? We're a family of servant missionaries. What do we do? We worship, connect, serve, and go. How do we do this? We trust and treasure Jesus supremely. Why do we do this? We do this for God's glory and our joy. And how long do we do this? We're going to do this until he comes. And what we want to do this month is we want to focus in on the part of that that says, what do we do? And we call these our four core disciplines. And they are worship, connect, serve, and go. And our plan is today through the end of this month to just drill down on those four disciplines. To worship, connect, serve, and go. We'll do that at 9 o'clock and then we'll break out and have some conversations in our pit crews around that. So today, you may want to write this down. We want to get back to the basics of worship. Back to the basics of of worship. Now let's start with a definition that I've always appreciated about what worship is. It could be defined in different ways, but I'm really partial to this definition from Warren Wiersbe. He says this, worship is the believer's response. First of all, it's believers who worship God. And it's the believer's response. That's their action. There's an action involved in worship from us as believers. Worship is the believer's response of all that he is. Mind, emotions, will, and body to all that God is and says and does. Now we're starting with worship, and that's a non-negotiable. You've got to start with worship. And let me explain why starting with worship is essential, why that's our non-negotiable. We could go around this room right now and we could sort of survey everybody and poll everybody, okay, as followers of Jesus, what are the important things that we're supposed to be doing, right? And so somebody here today, they may say, well, well what, what it's all about is as God's people, we're to be holy and we're to be set apart. And that's true. And I wouldn't argue with that. Some would say it's about reaching people for Jesus. It's about reaching souls for the kingdom of heaven. 
Absolutely. I, I would agree with that too. Some would say it's all about discipleship. It's about making disciples. It is that. Jesus has called us to do that. Some would say it's about meaningful relationships. It's about loving one another. And that's important as well. Some would say it's about prayer. And that's important. Got to have that. Some may even say, well, you know, I'm really partial to things like life groups. I'm really partial to things like student ministry or senior adult ministry or, or kids ministry. But listen, if we have all of those good things, but they're not flowing out of worship, then they're not the things that they're supposed to be. If all of those good things aren't a byproduct of us connecting our hearts to the heart of God through worship, then hear me, all of those good things are nothing more than cut flowers with no roots. we got to be connected to the Lord through worship. So let's look today at the basics of what worship is. Let me read Wearsby's definition again. He said, worship is the believer's response of all that he is, mind, emotions, will, and body, to all that God is and says and does. Nowhere in the Bible, in my opinion, do we see that definition lived out more vividly and clearly than in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 6. Let me tell you about Isaiah. Isaiah is a man who was living in the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom has already been obliterated by the Assyrians. Down there in the southern kingdom, they're also not being faithful to the Lord. And God would speak to them and they would turn to him sort of superficially, sort of worship him in a shallow sort of way. And their hearts would turn away from the Lord again. But God's going to raise up somebody now to represent him to his people. But the person that's got, that God's going to raise up is a person who can't simply be cut flowers without roots. God's got to raise up a person who is rooted into the presence of God. He's got to raise up a person that's rooted into the person, into the power of God. And I would ask you this morning, if the eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro about the earth to seek whose heart is completely his, and the Bible says that's exactly what the eyes of the Lord are doing, would he find you today being a person who is rooted into the presence of God? Or, or are we simply cut flowers with no roots, no connectivity into God himself? So God sets Isaiah up in Isaiah chapter 6 to encounter God like he never has before. And to experience what true worship really is. And out of this experience that Isaiah has in Isaiah chapter 6, here's what we're going to do. We're going to lift five ingredients. Five ingredients. Do we need some more seats, y'all? I can make more seats if we need more seats. Can y'all squeeze together? We got some more folks that need to come in and sit down. Y'all come on in, come on in, come on in. I don't want y'all standing. No. Yeah, they're moving. We got plenty. Come on. Come on, Jasmine. Get them kids in here. What you doing, Mama? You carrying a pumpkin seat and everything. We got to sit down. There's some right up there. Raise your hands, people. We, we need four there. We need two over here. It's okay. It's a good thing when we have to stop and find seats. That's good, right? Wave your hands if you got four. There we go. They're moving. Thank y'all for moving. There you go. I know y'all like those end seats, all right? It's funny, nobody likes the end of the loaf of bread, but y'all like the end of that row. <laughs> Who likes the end of the loaf of bread? Really? I stand corrected. 
wow, if I'm desperate, you know? So God is, thank y'all for doing that, all right? We got ushers, we got more places we can put folks, all right? If we need to find some spots, we'll be fine. So what we want to do is we want to look at Isaiah 6, and we want to lift out of here five ingredients today of what true worship is. Now, these aren't the only five things that we could say, but these are five things that I think are abundantly clear out of Isaiah chapter 6 about what true worship really is. And we got to get back to this, right? So here's the first one. Number one, it's vision. It's vision. Now, Isaiah has a literal vision here in Isaiah chapter 6. He literally sees the Lord in heaven high and lifted up. When I say that for us it starts with a vision, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Although having a literal vision of God in heaven would be an awesome experience. When I say we need to have a vision of who God is, what I mean by that is we need to have a knowledge and an understanding of what God is like. I know the quality of the video wasn't great there. It was raining and we sent that to you from Shaco Springs. We'll have great quality over there. But I was asking the boys and girls, tell me about God. God is. And they're saying things like he's incomprehensible. They can tell you what that means. They're saying things like he's omnipotent, that he's omnipresent, that he's holy. At Grace Life, we just believe it's vitally important that we're teaching our boys and girls what God is like, what his character is like, what the attributes of God are. And we got to have a vision for that. And that's where worship starts, with a vision for, uh, for, for God. Isaiah here, God's revealing himself into a vision. But, but God to us has chosen to reveal himself through his son, through Jesus. He's chosen to reveal himself to us through his word, through the Bible. And, and it's, sometimes it's frustrating because we, we don't know and can't know everything about God that we want to know. But I assure you, through Jesus and through God's word, God has revealed everything about God that we need to know. And we just have to be okay that we don't understand all of that. But we know what we need to know. Now, thankfully, Isaiah wrote down through the work of the Holy Spirit his experience of this vision. So at least we get to have it sort of secondhand. So God first grips Isaiah with the godness of God. I loved it when one of the little girls in the video, she said, God is holy. I think it was Ryland. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, he's the only one that can be God. <laughs> That's right. Isaiah saw the godness of God, the holiness of God. That means he's the only one. He is unique. He is completely set apart. He has no peer. He has no rival. He is in a class all by himself, and Isaiah sees the Lord. And that's the starting place for true worship. True worship doesn't start with us. True worship doesn't start with some cause that I feel compelled to give myself to. True worship doesn't start with some need that I see in the world or anything else. True worship flows from a clear vision of who God is, of what God is like, of what he has done, what he's doing, and what he is going to do. Let's look at the text. Isaiah chapter 6 is where we are. Verse 1. Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Look, make no mistake about it. God is the main attraction in heaven. Not mansions, not streets of gold, 
not pearly gates, not Peter. I look forward to seeing relatives that are there. I can't understate that, but I'm telling you the main attraction is God. The Bible says the train of his robe was filling the temple, and above it stood seraphim. All right, students, let's define what seraphim are. They're a specific type of angels. God created not just one kind of angel, but multiple kinds of angels. And seraphim are these angels that are on fire, and they're flying. They are flying, flaming angels. Here's how Isaiah describes them. He said, there's these seraphim, and each one had six wings with two He covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one cried to another and said, here's that word, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. There is none like him. There is none like him. He alone is God. He alone is God. And the Bible says that they said, the whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I love that because from Isaiah's perspective, the earth is crumbling beneath his feet. The northern kingdom is gone. The southern kingdom is coming unraveled. He is watching the enemy move and circle them all around. And yet, from heaven's perspective, they are saying, no, no, no. The whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. Now, you may be here today, and from your seat, it looks like everything is falling apart. But from heaven's throne, that is not the case. Even right now, in the midst of whatever may be going on in your world, in your life, in your circumstances, it is still all filled with the glory of God. Because he is still God. And he is still sovereign. He is still in control. And the Bible says, verse 4, the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. Because the glory of God is shaken heaven, you don't have to be shaken on earth. His glory is shaking heaven and filling the earth. And the Bible says that the house was shaken, the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah got his eyes up. That's what we got to do. This is the basics of worship. He got his eyes up to see who the Lord is, the greatness, the glory, the holiness, the mystery, the wonder of this amazing God. And getting his eyes up to see God was a divine jolt to his soul. Have you had that happen to you? Maybe you're just kind of minding your own business, and all of a sudden it was like a lightning bolt out of heaven, and you just knew, man, I am on holy ground. I am in the presence of the Lord right here. Something is going down in this moment. It's a divine jolt. That's where worship begins. It's where we lift our eyes to the Lord. We fix our gaze. We fix our mind's attention. We fix our heart's affection on him. Good to see Maggie in the house today, by the way. Hey, Maggie, she's two weeks old, three, three weeks old, first Sunday here, yes. Five ingredients in true worship. Number one is vision. Number two, conviction, conviction over your sin. See, this is what's going to happen if you truly see the Lord, you truly stand in the midst of his glory, you're going to get exposed. And conviction's going to happen. Should. Verse 5, Isaiah says, So I said, woe is me, for I'm undone. Here's what he just said. I'm dead in my shoes. I have just been exposed for who I am and what I am as I stand in the glory of God. As I stand in the midst of the holiness of God. 
Now let's talk about what conviction over sin is. It's more than just feeling bad because it's something you've done. That, that's not what conviction is. It, it's not just feeling a sense of guilt or remorse for something that you've done. That's not what conviction is. Conviction that's worked in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit is to feel the utter dreadfulness of sin. To know that we have, a, have deeply offended the God who is holy. To know that this sin cannot abide in the presence of God. To stand there knowing that. And that's where Isaiah is. He's saying, I can't be here. I can't stand in this place like I am right now. He is going to crush me because of my sin. When you begin to grasp in your mind, when you begin to grasp in your heart, you get a right vision for the holiness of God, the greatness of God, the godness of God, the glory of God. When you're standing there in the light of his glory and, your, and his holiness, your sin, you're going to see it. It's going to show up. It's going to be exposed to you. And you will be moved, at least at first, not because of how it offends you. Not because of how it offends somebody else. But true conviction is felt deeply in the gut because it's a sorrow over how it's offended God. That, that's what it is. It's a recognition of how we've offended the one who's holy. It, it's not shame and guilt. Although those are some of the emotions that play into the mix of that. But conviction over sin transcends our natural emotions. Somebody that doesn't even know God, they know what guilt feels like. They know what shame feels like. They know what remorse feels like. But conviction is a, is a godly sorrow. Conviction is a God-centered sorrow. It's a sorrow that orbits around God and His glory and His holiness and that I have fallen short of that, that I've grieved Him, that I've offended Him. I don't like what my sin's done to me. I certainly don't like what my sin has done to somebody else, but, but that's not conviction over my sin. That's a, that's, that's a part of true worship. That's not what conviction is. Those feelings are, are true generally of the human experience. But in true worship, conviction over our sin orbits around God and how we've offended Him. So ingredients of true worship. Hey, Maggie, you're going to get used to me. I know it's day one, but you're going to get used to me. I promise. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. But I'm praying you will. And, and by the way, Amy, that's one of my favorite names. You want to just stand there and bounce her? Let's not give up on day one. Like that kind of hurts my ego a little bit, Maggie. Come on, let's, let's battle through it. No, I'm so glad she's here. True worship starts with vision, and then there's conviction over our sin. Third, then there's confession. We're convicted. We know we've offended God. Then we confess that to the Lord. Verse 5, Isaiah says, so I said, woe is me, for I'm undone, because I am a man. Here's confession. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's not blaming them. He's just saying, this is the path I've chosen. These are the people I've chosen. 
For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That's an army. The Lord of heaven's armies. He sees that. Confession, here's what it is. It's, confession and worship is an honest self-assessment. It's an honest self-assessment in the presence of God. It's an admission to God of what he already knows. He already knows this about me. But it's an honest admission to him of what he already knows. It's agreeing with God that what he has said is true. That there's something about me that doesn't line up with something about him. And I admit that to him. That's what confession is. There's no debating it. There's no excusing it. There's no arguing it. There's no attempt to justify it. No attempt to minimize it. No attempt to shift blame on somebody else. It's just owning it. Period. Confession simply says to God, yes, sir. You're right, and I've been wrong. What you're saying about me is true. I've dishonored you. I've grieved your spirit. That's true worship. I fear that in 2023, we think worship is a spiritual pep rally. And for sure, there ought to be some pep in it. And there is in the presence of God. But man, it's got to start with this vision of who God is. And that's going to result in conviction over our sin. And that's going to lead us to confession. And confession leads us to this. Number four, purification. Purification from our sin. Look at verse 6. Isaiah says, then one of the seraphim. What are they, students? Flying, flaming angels, right? Then one of the seraphim flew to me. How would you like that? How would you like, you're just minding your business, and a flying, flaming angel, six wings, on fire, flies right up to you, and it gets better, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it. And said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity, that's another word for sin, evil, is taken away. And your sin is purged. It's gone. It's removed. This is what happens in true worship. Our lives get changed. Our hearts get changed. Our mind, everything about us is changed before the Lord. The power of God is unleashed in true worship. The presence of God is unleashed in true worship. Here's good news, church. The love of God is unleashed when God's people truly worship Him. The forgiveness of God is unleashed upon God's people when we truly worship Him. Isaiah earlier was fearful that he was about to be crushed because of his sin. Because either you're going to be crushed because of your sin or your sin's going to be crushed. And the good news for us as God's people is our sin has already been crushed in the body of the Son of God who gave himself for us on the cross. By his blood we are forgiven. That's the good news. Forgiveness flows in true worship. Sin is dealt with in true worship. Isaiah is made clean. This is what happens to the people of God when they truly worship God. He forgives us. He cleanses us. Though our sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. The Bible says that if we'll confess our sin, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the basics of worship. You track in? It's vision. And that's going to lead to conviction. Conviction leads to confession. Confession leads to purification. 
What happens after that? Dedication. That's what happens. Dedication. Ingredient number five. Look at verse eight. Isaiah says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here am I. Send me. Now look, moments earlier, Isaiah's like this, right? He's trying not to be seen. Like he wants to just become invisible in the presence of God. But now God's done a work in his life through true worship. He's been cleansed. He's now standing right before God. Now he hears God saying, I have an assignment. Who wants to represent me? Who wants to go for us? Now Isaiah has stepped to the front. He's got his hand up in the air. He's free. This is worship. He's forgiven. He's ready. There's dedication now. He's got his hands up going, hey, God, here I am. Send me, Lord. What's the right response? When we stand in the presence of God, convicted of our sin, confess that, cleansed by the blood of Jesus, what is the right response then? Is it not to stand up and go, hands up, yes, Lord, here I am. Dedication. See, see, rededication to the Lord ought to happen just every time we move into the throne room of God. Every time we move in worship into the presence of God, dedication in full. That's the right response. To say to God, whatever you want, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, yes, yes, yes. No more hiding, hands up. No more hiding, hands up. This is true worship. Here I am, send me. No shrinking back. No nominating somebody else. Right? Me. I, here I am, Lord. Send me. No excuse making. No delay tactics. Let's go. Lord, I'm ready. Send me. All in, 100%, total dedication to God and his plan. That's true worship. Five ingredients to worship. What are we saying? Vision, conviction, confession, purification, and dedication. Now, now, team. Our season's just around the corner, so i got to talk some basics, some fundamentals, some things we just want to go over, all right, that I think will help position us to have a better opportunity, Emma, to experience true worship when we're in this place together, and, and things that we could do to give other people a better opportunity to, to experience true worship when we're together. Number one is this, be here. Be here. I don't understand why people who say they're a follower of Jesus see the first day of the week gathering together with believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, to worship God. I don't understand why people who say they're followers of Jesus see that as optional. I don't understand that. Here's a telltale sign to know whether you are or are not on God's path in your life. If the phrase is uttered sometime during the week in your home, are we going to church Sunday? If there's somebody at your house that's making that statement, that's a sign 
that you're probably not on the path that God would have you to be on. Now, it may be that you can't be here. You had to work. You're sick. God forbid Maggie's got an ear infection. Something's gone down, right? That's not a choice that you made. That's a choice that somebody made for you or that just happened that can't be helped. But if you're consistently faced with the choice, are we or are we not gathering with the body of Christ to worship the Lord, that's an indicator on the dashboard of your heart that you need to be paying attention to something, right? So be here. Be early. I promise you, I know for some of you this is like so hard. But truthfully, y'all, I am convinced that Sunday for the people of God, in fact, I would say Sunday for everybody in the world is the most important day. For people who don't know Jesus, it's the most important day because what we do on this day is going to affect them. Does that make sense? And so if it's the most important day, then we need to put in a little extra effort to set ourselves up well for the number one most important day in our week. So some preparation ahead of time. Thinking ahead about what you got to do. The 12 hours before church starts is so important. You won't believe this. A lot of y'all think that, that pastors are off on Saturday, and and technically, I guess, sort of we are. But I'll be honest with you, that's the heaviest day of my week. Because I can never stop thinking about what am I doing today that is either helping me or hindering me tomorrow. This is true. I, I am more careful on Saturday about what I eat than any other day of the week. I'm more careful about the activities that I choose. I limit how much physical activity. I can't work in my yard for 12 hours on a Saturday. I can't do that. I can't be depleted when I come in here. Now, you don't have to quite go that far. I get that. But probably you need to be thinking a little bit more in the 12, 18, 24 hours ahead of worship than you have been so that you're showing up here ready As ready as you can be, not only for you to experience the Lord, but so that somebody else around you can can be blessed and built up and encouraged by that as well. You're going to be in a better frame of mind. I, I think God, you know, he gave the Jewish people the way to do it. Your day starts at sundown. That's how they do it. And I love that. And the older I get, the more I recognize the most important part of today for me started at about sundown last night. That's when all the preparation for the next day, get started. And so I would encourage you to maybe try to think about that as a lifestyle, but especially as you're approaching the first day of the week. How can I ramp? Some of us aren't even thinking about it until the alarm clock goes off on Sunday morning. Man, the devil's got you right where he wants you then. He's been in our parking lot for 12 hours doing push-ups, waiting on you to show up. And you're drag-tailing in here like you hadn't had any thought about what's going to happen in this place. So I just want to encourage you, think about that, how to be 
early. And then when you're here, let's be ready. Number three, be ready. Have a Bible. Have something to write with. Have something to write on. I I know some of you take your notes on your phone. I'm not saying that will send you to hell, but it's probably not the best idea. (laughs) You know, we got notifications popping and buzzing, and maybe you're more disciplined than I am, but just something to write on and something to write with. And go to the bathroom before you come in. And tell your children to go to the bathroom before they come in. And then don't let them fool you because they can watch a screen for three hours without ever going to (laughs) pee-pee. It's true. It's true. It's true. You just say we're going before. We're there early enough. We stop in the bathroom. And then you're not moving. All right? It's okay. They're going to be okay. I know there's exceptions to that. I get that. But what I see week in and week out, man, come on, all right? So let's be ready. Number four, we're back to the basics, right? Let's be hospitable. Be, and this goes back to being early and being ready. So I'm not coming in all stressed out and freaking out, man. Now I can think about God and I can think about others and be hospitable to the people around you. Probably one out of every five people in this room they're, they're, they're not a member here. They're friends, they're neighbors, they're visiting, and we're so thankful for that. So it could be that you're kind of the new kid on the block here, and you're surrounded in a pocket today by other new kids on the block, and you're wondering, why is nobody speaking to me? And they're wondering, why aren't you speaking to them? Because you all showed up kind of at the same time. So let's all walk into the house of the Lord and be hospitable to each other. Let's meet people. Let's ask people their names. Some of you sit in the same place every Sunday, and you have yet to talk to the people a row over, five seats over, two rows back. Why? What are you doing? This is huge. What a huge opportunity to meet somebody, to talk with them, to find out what their name is. Put that into your phone. I'm going to put your name in my phone because I'm going to pray for you this week. And if I see you here next week, I'm going to try to remember your name. Okay, cool. Can we do that? All right, nice. Let's be hospitable. People are lonely right now. Our world is meaner than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Man, this ought to be a place that's filled with warmth and hospitality toward each other. Number five, let's be expectant. Come into this room. First day of the week when we gather with God's people. Let's come with great expectations. That our God is so faithful. That he's going to pour himself out in some way. It may be that there's something he does in my life or the life of somebody near me. But let's be here with a sense of expectation that something's going to happen. Lives are going to be changed by God. And here, listen. Remember the story of Isaiah. It's important to remember that the change happened, the full dedication to the Lord happened at the end of his worship experience. Listen, that means stay till the end. Now I'm talking to Grace Life, I'm talking to some very devoted Grace Life people, specifically the nine o'clock crowd. Two weeks ago, I shot straight 10.30 people who were within the 10.30 service when I told you the truth two weeks ago. Here's what I told them, 9 o'clock service. I said, y'all need to know 10.30 service. 9 o'clock service today, I I think we fumbled. I felt that the, the, the Lord was really moving. That God was working in hearts. The music started to play. The decision songs being sung at the end. It was literally a song called, Oh, Come to the Altar. And you would have thought that somebody had started a fire in the concourse. Watching mature, faithful, grace life members walk out. 
during the most important part of a Sunday morning, when people have an opportunity to dedicate themselves to the Lord, and everybody's head's on a swivel, watching everybody move, and the, the, the message that's being sent by you, Grace Life people, is this is, no more, this is not important anymore. There's something more important than this happening somewhere else. And I believe we quench the spirit in that 9 o'clock hour. So at 10.30, because I currently love them more than you, (laughs) I told them the truth before I got to preaching. I talked about you and said, here's what we're not going to do this time. And you know what? They didn't do it. There was a sense of expectation in the room. And if you were in the room that day, it was one of the sweetest times in this room around this altar that we've had in the year plus that we've been here because a group of believers sat here with some expectations about what God may do in our midst. We've got to stop showing up in here with low expectations about our God. We'll get there. It's just, I think in the last few years, we've just kind of lost as a society, the common courtesy to think about our fellow man. We, we don't seem to be thinking as a society as much about how, how does what I'm doing right now impact somebody else. And sometimes we do that in this room. And, and we let our kids go and we, you know, we're just, maybe it's me, maybe I'm just terribly boring and you're antsy. I'll try to do better if you'll try to do better, Okay. I'm just respectfully asking you, let's all make it a priority, okay, to do better. Let's come with those expectations. And, hey, listen, those of you who are serving in ministry areas, I'm so thankful you are. And I know you're devoted and dedicated. You've got to get out there and do that. But wait till we're done. I'm not going to come to your ministry area and sabotage it at its most important moment. But you're doing that to mine at the most important moment. Now, I don't, I'm not running this late, so you're not able to get there. Just hang tight. If the lemonade's not there when I get there, I won't chew you out. If you were here at the altar praying, I'd rather you be here at the altar praying. I'll send guests to the water fountain. Let's get this right, okay? Now, I know this is like, why are you having to tell us this? Because the older generation, they taught us this stuff. But somewhere along the way, maybe my generation, maybe we've been dropping that ball. So we just got to learn it. I'm not angry or upset. It's just some things that we got to learn, all right? We're a family, amen? Can we just learn some things and not be so thin-skinned? We're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going to get a little bit better. I know y'all are thin-skinned. Your feelings are hurt. I'll get get letters. (laughs) You're so mean. Oh, I'm not done. Number six. Be involved. When you're here to worship the Lord, let me just tell you, we, this is the, the old way of saying it. They call this corporate worship. This is not a spectator event. I mean, I know that they, those are called stadium seats or theater seats, but you're not there to be a spectator. We're here to participate in worship together. Sing. Dang it, sing. Sing. Out loud. 
It don't have to be good. Y'all hear me sing. It ain't good. It doesn't matter. Let's sing. Clap. I heard David say, preach it a minute ago. Come on, hit me with it. I've heard people say, man, I just wanted to shout, Brother Joel. Why didn't you? Let's participate in this room. We're a family of believers who are getting to come into the presence of our Heavenly Father. Don't you want in on that? You want to stand in the back and watch some other people worship God at his feet? No, man, you need to be throwing some blows in there going, let me up to the front. Let's sing. It's okay to clap. It's okay to say amen. It's okay to pray with somebody. It's okay to meet somebody new. It's okay to come to this altar. It's okay to stand when everybody's sitting. It's okay to sit when everybody's standing. It's okay as long as you're following the Lord and desiring to honor Him and bring attention to Him and not to yourself. Let's go for that. That's what we should be doing in worship. And, and I want to know that I can expect that, that when I'm calling people to, to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, that you're not walking out in that moment, but you're like, no, I'm participating in that. I'm praying heaven down with you, Pastor. I'm in on this. If somebody needs somebody to pray with them, if I can help somebody, I'm in, right? So let's be involved in this together. Now, now why am I telling you all this? Here's why I'm not telling you all this. I, I don't want to be... This egomaniac who's just like, oh, I'm so important. you got to stay in here to hear everything i got to say. I don't want that to be where this is coming from. I say I don't want that to be because i got to check my heart, all right? We all got to check our heart. But I'm telling you this because you need to know this. Worship is war. Worship is war. And that's true on a personal level, your own time when you worship with God. But it is magnified. When we're talking about worshiping together as a gathering of believers, worship is war. Because there are two, there's only one thing that God and Satan have in common that I can think of. One thing they have in common. Here it is. They both want our worship. They both want our worship. So I promise you, when you and I gather in this place together, on the first day of the week, determined that we're going to worship our God. We're going to worship him in truth and in spirit with great expectations. I can promise you the adversary is going to push back against that. War will be declared when the people of God gather to worship God. Because God wants our worship, Satan wants our worship. And when we worship God in truth and spirit, it hinders the work of the enemy. It opposes him. It defeats his plan. It robs him of his territory. Worship is war. A worshiping church is a church that is at war. And if we're not worshiping him in here, we're not winning the battle over the darkness out there. If we've turned this into a theater or to a stadium for you to watch and critique and say that was good, that wasn't good, I might like that, I might not like that. If that's all it is, we're not going to win the battles out there against the darkness if we're not really worshiping God in here in this place. Let me tell you, Satan does not care what we do at Grace Life as long as we're not worshiping God. He will let us be cut flowers in a vase. He doesn't care. 
As long as we're not worshiping God. Let me give you an example. The story of Job. You remember the story of Job, right? You know what that whole story really is? It's a story about battle for worship. Remember that? Satan says to God, yeah, I know Job worships you, but you know why he worships you? It's because you're so doggone good to him. He's your pet. You've spoiled him. But I tell you what, God, you turn the tables on him, he'll stop worshiping you. It was a battle for worship. That's what the story of Job is. The question, the overarching question in the book of Job is not why do good things happen to bad people? That's not the story of the book of Job. The overarching question of the book of Job is, is God still worthy to be worshipped even when you don't think he's treating you right? It's a battle for worship. And then God takes Job on this walking tour of the universe. Remember that? So that ultimately Job says to God, wherever you take me, I'm going to worship you there. I wonder if we would say that today. God, wherever you take me, I'll worship you there. Those three Hebrew boys, remember them? That was a battle for worship. But they stood tall and they said, our worship will not be for sale. And they worshiped God in the middle of a fiery furnace. God, wherever you take me, I'll worship you there. William Temple said this, and I'll close. He said, this world can be saved from chaos and collapse by one thing and one thing only, worship. He said the only hope for the world is the church, and the only hope for the church is a return to worship. What is worship? It's our response of all that we are, mind, emotions, will, and body, to all that God is and says and has done. Worship is, I'm all in to everything that God is. So God, we ask this morning that you would teach us to worship. God, return our hearts to our first love, to you, God. God, give us a heavenly perspective of what worship is. We, we've been missing that, I fear. We, we, we don't see what the battles are in the heavenlies that are being waged when we gather and link hearts and arms and minds with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So God, help us to be worshiping warriors in your kingdom. Holy Spirit, put a fire in our hearts for the presence of God. That we would not be satisfied till we know that we have seen him high and lifted up. That we've encountered our own sin and didn't point at anybody else's, but we turned our face to you. We asked you to remove it from us and we trusted that through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross that you have. And then we stop hiding and we hold up our hands and we say, God, here I am. Send me. So God, would you begin to do that in us and through us, God? Teach us. Call us, change us in Jesus' name. Hey, let's stand. We get to practice today, right now, worshiping the Lord together. All in, everything that we are, all in on everything that He is. Let's be obedient. Be obedient to what the Lord's putting on your heart as we worship Him.